0: Welcome to the How Fitting Podcast, where you'll hear from independent fashion designers and entrepreneurs about how they grow their business, making clothes that fit their customer and values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Megan Forrest-Farmer of The Bright Factory. So welcome to the show, Megan.
1: Hi, Allison. I'm so glad to be here. Really, really love the podcast.
0: Oh, Thanks. Uh, For those listening who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Of course. My name is Megan Forrest Farmer, as you said. Um, I am a fashion stylist turned budding factory owner here in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, So my factory is called The Bright Factory, and we will exist to cut and sew T-shirts made from sustainable fabrics, Um, and these will be created by the hands of formerly incarcerated women and um, providing dignified employment.
0: Awesome. So yeah, so much I want to ask you about <laughs> with all this. Um, and also, you're the first like factory that I've interviewed on the podcast. So welcome. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> yeah. So you you mentioned you kind of have a background in styling and in the fashion industry. So what kind of Um, What was your experience in working in fashion and maybe why did you decide then to switch (laughs) from styling to something different, like owning a factory?
1: Sure. Yes. Big switch there. Um, (laughs) um, So I've worked in the fashion industry for about 10 years. Um, I think this is probably the common thread of guests on your podcast, but, you know, we're working along in the fashion industry or some tertiary industry and we, just start to see some of the really negative things that the fashion industry creates in our world um, mm-hmm. and for me I was working um, on the styling side of things most of the time and so that meant I was on photo shoot sets, touching samples, smelling samples
0: <laughs> realizing
1: <laughs> that something was kind of off about how we were getting these things there was so much of it there was such an excess. so I just kind of started to do my own research and in researching obviously realized the tragedy at Rana Plaza and Um, I think that was a a big genesis moment for a lot of people in the ethical Mm -hmm. fashion space of just realizing um, in front of our faces what our consumerism was doing and what we were asking for as consumers and what these companies were providing. So I started shopping more ethically, more sustainably, secondhand, just for myself um, and as I would wear these new things, people in the fashion industry that I worked with would say, Oh my gosh, I love your top. And I'd say, Oh, it's from this really great ethical fashion brand. You should check them out. And people would say, Oh, yeah, that's like really cool, but I don't really wanna spend the time or money or effort to do all of the work to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And so I kept hearing this. And so I said, Okay, well, I'm gonna do something about this. I have a styling background, I'm good at making outfits, I'm good at helping people. So I will start a styling company that is focused on teaching people and helping them make more sustainable choices for their wardrobe. So I have been doing that for a couple of years now and um, love it. I still do that. That's still um, one of my, my businesses, (laughs) but I, um, I love getting to enlighten people on this, just small steps they could make to be more sustainable in their wardrobe um, to shop less, shop their closet more. um, And when they are deciding to buy something new that um, it's made in a way where we're valuing the worker and the planet. So I was educating myself, trying to kind of educate others as well, and in 2020, uh, at the beginning of the year, I a few things kind of happened at the same time, and I started to um, visit women at the jail in um, Fort Worth, Texas, where I live, just as kind of like a volunteer work, um, mm-hmm. and I started hearing a very similar sentiment over and over again, which was, When I get out of here, I'm ready to get a job and take care of my family. And I have all these goals and dreams. Um, And and then even in some conversations when they would ask me what I would do and I say I worked in the fashion industry, they thought it was the coolest thing ever. (laughs) They thought, (laughs) wow, I wish I could have been a designer. I wish I was this, or I wish I was that. And I used to sew when I was young and all these things. And I thought, wow, you could be, you could learn how to industrial sew. You could learn how to be a designer. Um, There's nothing that says you can't learn those things. Um, mm-hmm. But I quickly, after doing some research in this area as well, realized it's really hard to get a job if you have been incarcerated at any point, whether that's jail, prison. Um, it's just there's a lot of factors that play into that. But our society mm-hmm. really looks down on those who have been in jail, even if they've served their time and they're ready to get out and make some like, really exciting choices for their life. There's some really difficult obstacles in place um, for those who have been incarcerated. And yeah. so in realizing that, I thought, why is this so hard? Like, why can't it be easier for these women to find dignified employment? And as I'd been working in the sustainable fashion space, I was realizing that dignified employment was something that not a lot of garment workers were receiving either. And that's not to say that every factory is seedy and doing things poorly. That's not the case at all. There's some amazing factories all over the world doing incredible stuff um, and being, valuing their garment workers and paying a fair wage and all of that. But for the most part, we we have seen an influx of the opposite of that. And mm-hmm. so I felt like dignity was something that was kind of being stripped of these garment workers across the world, not just overseas, but in the U.S. as well. Um, and th- that was kind of the common thread was I wanted to see dignity restored to both. I wanted to see both um, this garment worker position that we have less of in the U.S. but still is here and this industry that's kind of dying in the U.S. because we're not teaching it. And then these women who deserve dignified employment after incarceration. Um, And so started to tie these things together. And then also at the same time, I was looking for sustainably made blank t-shirts. I was working on a project wanted to make sure that the the screen printer that we used was ethical, wanted to make sure that blank. So a blank is just literally a blank t-shirt, right? That mm-hmm. um, Whenever your local coffee shop or your church or your volunteer organization or sorority or whatever gets their t-shirts printed, there's a blank shirt that it starts on. And I was having a really hard time finding transparency in the supply chain to figure out where these shirts actually came from, which you guys talk about a lot on your podcast mm-hmm. um, is just, kind of that difficulty of figuring out, okay, who actually made this and are they being paid fairly and all of that. Mm-hmm. So all of these things happened at once kind of simultaneously. And I felt like I should do something about them, which felt very daunting, <laughs> but <laughs> I uh, yes, but in this kind of sustainable fashion space, we get to, um, we get to do daunting things sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Bright Factory idea was born and birthed out of those, um, those things, the, the need to address all of that. Um, and so we started doing my own research. I did a, a program, an accelerator program that I think some of your guests have also done, which is called Factory 45, which was incredible. Yeah. Um, educated me so much because as I said, I, I don't have a manufacturing background. I don't have a design background. Um, I have a styling and retail background, so very different, even though they all involve clothes and style, it's, it's very different, um, and I needed to learn about like what you do with the pattern making and sample making, and I needed to have a fuller understanding of all of this, um, so I really spent a year doing research and reaching out to people and learning and understanding, um, and then in the last few months, we um, have been raising the funds to be able to actually start the factory. Um, and invite people into that journey with us. So that's the short, long version of how the Bright Factory and how my fashion um, pipeline has woven its way through there.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's such a cool story. And there's like a lot in there that I want to kind of maybe like back up and talk about. And then I do want to talk about your. Uh, you know, kind of what's next in the Kickstarter that you you just uh, finished, I saw, mm-hmm. um, and cra- congrats on that, Thank but um, one thing that kind of, like, really stood out from your story is, is kind of the contrast of in fashion, we both kind of, like, glorify it and diminish it at the mm-hmm. same time, I feel like, culturally, like, You know, you say you work in fashion. I get the same thing. Everyone's like, "Oh, that's so cool! (laughs) Like, I love Project Runway," and you know, and and like, so like that's the view, you know, very kind of like rich, glamorous, you know, walking around in heels all day, looking at cool fabrics, like meeting celebrities is like (laughs) the view of of what it's like to work in fashion, and and everyone kind of like looks up to that, like, "Oh, I wish I could do that for a job," kind of thing. But then at the same time, we culturally kind of like diminish the significance of how how it actually how fashion actually happens, you know, like we we kind of look up to the designers almost too much. And then I, you know, not that they don't deserve it, but um like compared to then we we like don't think about or don't consider the well-being of the people actually making our clothes, you know, who are also in fashion. So I don't know if that's something that you noticed too, but oh, just yeah. it's like very interesting to me of how it's both like glorified and diminished at the same time. Yes. Um and then like the, the ethics of that and the mindset like behind that, I'm I'm sure stood out to you too in having conversations with people.
1: Yes, absolutely. That's such a, a rich dichotomy to point out that I think a lot of times gets lost on all of us, because I think we all can do it with a lot of industries, but specifically the fashion industry. I mean, yes, there are definitely some glamorous things I have gotten to do, but that is a very small percentage of Mm -hmm. most of the work I have done in the industry. It's a lot of hard work, um, depending on what your job is. And you're right, we kind of glorify the designer. And like you said, they deserve it for a lot of things. They like do great work. They're artists, they're Mm creative, it's beautiful. We should appreciate them but so are the people who are making them. They're artists and yes. creatives. I was just telling someone um, the other day about how sometimes we will talk really poorly about um, clothing made from H&M, right? That's like the everybody's favorite person to pick on in the sustainable mm-hmm. fashion industry. And, um, and for like good clothing reason, made in
0: China. You yes,
1: know. <laughs> clothing made in China. All these yeah. things we, we've like said, oh, that's bad. And that's, that's the unethical thing. Um, but so often there are still people, well, not so often, all the time, <laughs> there are people who made that garment at H&M that have a skill that I don't have. I'm not an industrial sewer. Um, I could sew a pillow, but I'm not industrially sewing trained. And so they have a skill that I don't have that we're undervaluing by the way that we pay mm-hmm. them, by the way that we look at what they do. And even by you know saying, oh, this H&M top is horrible, which yes, we can say maybe the quality is not great. It was made really
0: quickly and cheaply, but that's not necessarily the garment workers fault. That's- it, it usually isn't. I mean, I, I feel like a, as a pattern maker, I think the most important parts that make a quality garment are the materials. And then all the things upstream of the sewing, mm-hmm. like cutting and the pattern, and like the development of the, that technical piece, like the mm-hmm. sewing is the last step. If they're if what they're given isn't quality, there's no way even a amazing sewer can fix it. You know,
1: absolutely,
0: no, one hundred percent. I think,
1: and that's that part of the fashion industry that most that gets lost on most average consumer, right? Like most people don't know everything that goes into one piece of clothing or everything that should go into one piece of clothing, the patterns, mm-hmm. the sampling, the um, making sure the sizing is right, all of that stuff, a lot of that gets skipped over in these mass market, um, consumer-based, dr- consumer-driven companies where they're just pumping out stuff so quickly. So you're right. It, it, we put the blame on this, the garment worker, but really it was so much further up the pipeline when things were not done well at the beginning. Um, so yes, I agree that we, we are undervaluing so much of the industry and at the same time, glorifying it for parts that are not even that glamorous.
0: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had kind of like mentioned like dignified work and wanting to bring dignity back to some of these formerly incarcerated women in terms of like giving like a fair wage job and like way for them to get back on their feet. Um, And I feel like that, you know, kind of plays into this of, or I guess maybe my question is how, how then are you approaching kind of making this job and this career and this skill more dignified um, when, you know, our culture maybe doesn't look up to that as much. So I, I think it totally is a dignified job and it's, it's amazing, but I think, there may be some, uh, like education. I think of you know of the consumer even of how to treat people and treat this job and treat you know more of the garment industry with dignity. So I'm curious if you've you've kind of done some like educating or like thought on that um, as you've been um, approaching starting this factory.
1: Yes. Okay. Love this question. So. I think when you're starting something new and you're a newbie at it, right? So so when you don't come from the manufacturing industry, I get to kind of look at it with fresh eyes. I get to bring Mm -hmm. a new perspective to it. Even if I'm doing it ignorantly at first, even if I'm like, I want to do all these crazy, amazing things. And anybody else in the industry is like, good luck. (laughs) I get to, I get to do that. I get to come in with these like really positive, um, exciting goals. And so some of those are like, I want to disrupt the way we look at the garment industry like when you hear the word factory the connotation is awful like we mm-hmm. all think of like dimly lit rooms windowless dark sad um, people are never smiling like it sounds mm-hmm. the word factory sounds so awful um and so I, that's why we put the word bright in front of it that's why it's yeah, i was gonna say our- it
0: sounds like the name and both like kind of the branding seem very like happy and fun
1: Yes, and that's the goal—is that we like, like we're gonna have bright murals on the walls and and lots of breaks and a hand massage on Thursday and karaoke on Friday and like it's gonna be a fun place to work. We'll also get stuff done, but there needs to be opportunity to make it an enjoyable workplace. Just like all of us want an enjoyable workplace, mm-hmm. um, and if we have to go into a job, we're not someone who works remotely and we don't get to create our own environment. Then the environment we go get to work in it should be fun and exciting. And especially if it's, if you're doing some kind of harder, more laborious work like sewing, like I want to make sure that this is an enjoyable place to work and also, um, implement programming that creates long-term skills as well. Um, Hmm. so transferable skills, um, may look different in different industries. Right. But a lot of these women, I'd love for them to stay and work with us as long as they want. If they're enjoying what they're doing and this is a good fit, I would love for them to continue working. But if they have bigger ambition and goal and to do the next thing, whether it's in the fashion industry or some other industry, we want to make sure that we're providing some type of training because um, not all of them, but a lot of the women that we will be working with may not have some of the skills that a lot of us kind of take for granted. Um mm-hmm working Google suite, like that feels like a very simple thing to most of us. That's what a lot of us use, Google docs, Google sheets, mm-hmm. all of that. But if you've never been taught that or um, your life didn't allow for that, then how would you know how to do it? So mm-hmm. we want to provide the opportunity for those transferable skills. Um, so we want to create literally a bright factory. We want it to be a bright place where people feel valued and dignified. And then also in kind of swinging to another vein is, this in this sewing skill in the US, especially this industrial sewing skill has kind of been lost on us. We mm-hmm. don't value it, like you were saying earlier, uh, because it's for so much of my life, at least I'm a 30. So like most of the 90s and 2000s, everything was not in my backyard. Everything mm-hmm. was somewhere else. So I wasn't seeing what went into making a garment until I did my own research. And most people aren't doing that. And so Mm -hmm. when there's no industry for me to see like, oh my gosh, this could actually be really cool. We should teach people how to do this in school. And we should have some people return to learning how to do these skills. Um, There's that term, it's used a lot in regards to the industry in New York, the silver tsunami of um, Mm -hmm. how everyone in New York who is in the garment industry, a lot of them have silver hair, right? Because they Mm -hmm. are older, they've been working in this industry for a while. um, But young people don't want to learn how to- do mm-hmm. this job. It doesn't seem like a fun job when you're graduating college or graduating high school. You're a lot of people aren't thinking, oh, I can't wait to be a garment manufacturer, garment worker, because mm-hmm. we have kind of stripped it of its dignity of like, oh, that's what you do overseas and don't get paid. Yeah. <laughs> and it was never intended to be that way. Um, we just made some interesting choices as a country, as a globe um, that we really put this negative connotation of what a garment worker is. Um, when really it could be something so creative. And that's something else we wanna make sure we provide is um, opportunities for creativity beyond just what we've designed. Yes, we've designed three t-shirts to start with, but if these women have amazing ideas with what we could be utilizing um, our scraps with, cause we wanna make sure we're trying not to waste as, li- we're trying to waste as little as possible. Mm-hmm. then I'd love for them to come up with a design. I'd love to hear their feedback. I want this to be a collaborative work environment where they say also hey this I, I thought of this really cool t-shirt design can we work with a screen printer and do a, a custom line like that is encouraged at the Breck factory where they get to utilize creativity as well and the garment worker has more of a voice in the process
0: mm-hmm. yeah i love that and i think factories like i always uh, recommend to my clients like get feedback from your factory and listen to <laughs> listen yes. to them you know <laughs> like they're the one they have this like incredible skill but if they're like if if you are open to their suggestions like hey you know if you hem it this way it's going to be like faster and better quality or you know maybe cheaper or something um then you know they have these great suggestions because they're the ones working with it all the time and yeah i love that you're you're like fostering that kind of like feedback and, and kind of working together in the process instead of like very top down, like this is what you're doing. It's more mm-hmm. of a collaborative um, space. So yeah, so you have three t-shirt designs that you have. So um, I have a couple of questions about those, um, but first, So with the Bright Factory, are you just going to be manufacturing the t-shirts like for kind of like your t-shirt brand and whatever other products, or are you also open to um, taking on production for other brands? So yes and no
1: (laughs) (laughs) to both. Um, So initially we wanted, we want to be wise with our resources. We don't Mm -hmm. want to be overproducing anything We want to be super strategic and also we want to provide early mastery to these women who for the most part, will have no sewing experience. So there'll Mm -hmm. be a training program. So the reason for these three t-shirt designs that are just these bright factory in-house styles is for early mastery is to make sure we're making these women feel comfortable and confident in their skill set. And so they want to keep doing it where they're not, mm-hmm. we're not throwing a new project at them three weeks into their career and they think, wow, I hate this job because mm-hmm. every time I start to learn something and feel really confident in myself, you guys change it up on me. And now I have something new to learn. Whereas if it was a factory that was set up where we were hiring professionals that had been master sewers and in the garment industry for a while there's amazing factories who are doing that. They do take on projects from small designers, big designers, um, Mm -hmm. and like work with pattern makers like yourself and and all of that. But to begin with, we really want to provide these ladies an opportunity for early mastery. So we'll start off with these three shirt designs and they'll just be blank t-shirts that we'll be able to sell wholesale um, to provide blank t-shirts for, like I said earlier, your favorite coffee shop, your, um, your business that you love supporting that, they always get t-shirts, but if they're going to get t-shirts, let's try to make them more sustainable and support Mm -hmm. um, the local economy here, at least in the city I live. Um, And so that's the the reason for starting off that way. But of course we would love to grow and expand. And I'd love for these ladies to be working here a few years and think, yeah, I can take on more. I feel fully equipped to take on a dress now, or I could absolutely make a leather bag. Um, Mm -hmm. So eventually, yes, we would love to expand, but we really want to be wise at the beginning and start off small.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I totally love that because I feel like um, I've worked with several smaller factories where, and I've I've seen maybe the downside of kind of startup newer factories um, Mm. be that there isn't that clarity of focus on like one type of product or one type of like, we're going to build skills in this area first, and then you get spread too thin and then, you know, it's people get burnt out or the quality isn't up to what the clients are expecting. And so, um, I really commend you for like staying focused on like, no, our mission is really to give these women skills, like get them excited about, um, the job and the industry and like build confidence and, and, um, expertise in in this area before we expand so I love that like you're very focused on that mission and I think you know that'll really help you down the road too to like be really good at like we do t-shirts amazing you know yes we can go to like when if eventually you do take on another production like you'll be able to say like we're really good at this and, and have have the skills to back it up which I think it will give you a leg up
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Mm -hmm. So, yeah, these three T-shirt designs. So tell me a little bit about like the development of those and was um, did you kind of have like a team that you worked on designing those or because you even mentioned like you don't have much of a design background, but Mm -hmm. you do have a styling background. So what was it like kind of creating those products then?
1: Right. Yes. So not a designer, definitely had to get some help in this area. Um, Like I mentioned before, going through factory 45 program um, was really helpful, um, which is just an accelerator program. um, If you're wanting to start a sustainable fashion brand, which is about half or probably a little more than half of what I'm doing. Right. Cause then they, they help you find a production partner. And since I will be the production partner, that is a part I've had to of do a lot of research on my own to figure out but that Mm -hmm. first part of development and pre-production i learned so much about um from shannon lord the founder of factory 45 because you just don't know until you know right you Mm -hmm. you, even if you've worked in the industry and you've seen line sheets before and you've seen all these things you don't know what they mean concretely so i definitely worked with a pattern maker and uh, a sample maker to help bring these first three styles to life. And they were wonderful and worked with my very terrible sketches. And <laughs> um, I gave lots of examples of like, I love the collar of this, but I want it to be a little bit thicker. And I like the sleeve of this, but I want it to be a little longer and really mm-hmm. helped. Me and know. that's really helpful. Yes. <laughs> sending lots of examples of like, I don't want to recreate this. I want it to be different and special, but also it's a t-shirt. So there's, there is only certain, uh, amount that you can expand. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's a reason we chose t-shirts, right? Because um, they're somewhat easy to make if you're a new sewer. And then also we want to keep our ladies in jobs and everybody always orders t-shirts for things, regardless if I think that they're ordering too much, which maybe I'll be a poor business owner and say, you guys really don't need that many t-shirts sustainability wise, please order less.
0: (laughs) But I I, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I would I would respect somebody who told, who like didn't try to sell me on more, you know? Cause I'd be like, if she told me to buy less, like she has my interest at heart, you know? Yes. <laughs> of like,
1: <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see. we'll see how it does for my profit margins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I really, that is that we don't want to be overproducing anything. Cause it, just the nature of making anything new in this world is unsustainable. And we know that we, we know that even though we're making a product that we're trying to be sustainable, we are making something new, right? But mm-hmm. if we're going to make it new, let's be ethical about it. Um, so we don't want to be overproducing anything. But these three t-shirt styles, um, we have um, our first one, which is called the classic. And that is um, really f- inspired by my favorite vintage t-shirt that I've had for years. It's worn in, it has a little bit of a thicker collar, just feels like the perfect t-shirt. Um, and so that's our first one. It's a little bit of a heavier weight, organic cotton um, or medium weight. And then our second style is called the retro, and that's a little bit trendier, um, a little more 90s inspired. We're seeing a lot of that in the fashion industry right now with these Mm -hmm. oversized t-shirts, really thick, heavyweight cotton, um, dropped sleeve, um, longer sleeve, longer hem, thicker collar. um, And so inspired by the 90s. And then the third is called the everyday and it's a lighter weight cotton and you could literally wear it every day. So this could be an undershirt or it could be worn and printed on and all of that. Um, Just you could wear it every day, but it's a little bit lighter weight of a cotton and a little bit thinner of um, a collar and all of that. So we're kind of hitting these three categories that we feel like are the main types of t-shirts. And I've done a little bit of work um, with different organizations and churches and programs when they're ordering their t-shirts. So I've been able to see what are they drawn towards? What do they keep Mm -hmm. ordering? What do they keep wanting to print their logo on? And so that was kind of the inspiration was being able to do a little research um, on that side of things to see, okay, they keep wanting a black t-shirt that has this long of a sleeve this helps me to Mm -hmm. know this is a consistent thing that may be asked for um and so that was kind of the um, thought behind these three styles
0: cool yeah and I love you did the customer research for like the type of you know organizations (laughs) that you'd want to sell these to because I feel like you can never get enough customer research right I mean (laughs) it's like so valuable
1: (laughs) yes and ours is so interesting because it's um customer research like on a um, individual consumer basis right like you and I who buy t-shirts but then it's also mm-hmm. on a business level since we're trying mm-hmm. to really go after that wholesale model so it was it's been an interesting balance of I just want to know what the girl next door or my neighbor thinks about t-shirts but I also need to know what that business is mm-hmm. looking for in a t-shirt so it has and they're not
0: always the same funny definitely funny not. Enough. like <laughs> the end consumer's preference is not always like the buyer's preference the wholesale yes. buyer's preference yeah so yeah
1: You are right. A lot of times businesses are really looking at the bottom line of how much can they spend on a t-shirt, right?
0: So Mm -hmm.
1: they're trying to kind of go after something a little cheaper, unfortunately, but that's just what happens in business. If you're not a t-shirt business, especially if this is just kind of a secondary product for you, we have to really prove to you why it's worth spending an extra dollar or two per shirt um, and show you how good quality it is, show you what you're getting contribute towards. Um, mm-hmm. because when things are made ethically, especially in the U S, um, because of our minimum wage and fair wage and living wage, um, it's going to cost a little bit more. And we're very aware of that. Um, but we think that there's a reason and it is a valuable way to spend that extra dollar or two.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Especially it's like, I, I feel like, um, it's my pet peeve when, you are like part of some volunteer event or organization and they're like, let's get t-shirts. And, but then like knowing <laughs> the fashion industry, like, but guys, like the, mm-hmm. like maybe how these were produced because we got them so cheap from like whatever company is like exact opposite of what like we as oh, an organization goodness, yes. are trying to represent. <laughs> it's so it's like, like, I, I don't think people, if you don't really like know that kind of like underside mm-hmm. of the fashion industry, like realize that, like to me, it's like a contradiction of values. It's like if we're totally. if I'm participating in this event or whatever with this mission, like the t-shirts should also enhance that mission, not like detract from it. <laughs> like how the t-shirts were made, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And that was one of the ways that I that kind of landed on t-shirts was an experience with that. Of I was helping um, a local organization and and one of their biggest. Um, things that they, um, raise money for and funds for is anti-human trafficking, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. And I support that work so much and do a ton of volunteer work within that. And then they were ordering these t-shirts and I was helping. And I realized that they were all coming from places that whether it's promoting sex slavery or not, it is promoting labor trafficking potentially. Mm -hmm. Um, which in, if you don't know where something's coming from, you don't know what it's supporting. And so being able to talk them through that and say, Hey, let's like, Let's start looking for a different T-shirt blank, and be more cautious about where we're getting these from. So we can't. It isn't like a like you said. It's not these conflicting values of we support this thing, but our T-shirts come from this place.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So how was that conversation receipt? I'm curious of like, because I'm guessing oh. you'll probably run into <laughs> this conversation again with other other places of yes. like, hey, like you should purchase T-shirts that match your values. <laughs>
1: Yes. People, for the most part, I've been met with like overwhelming appreciation of the education on it because okay. a lot of times it's just, you just don't know. And we're as a human race, we kind of are ignorant to things and we kind of choose to be ignorant because if we were mm-hmm. totally aware of all of the atrocities of the world, we wouldn't ever do anything. We wouldn't leave the house. We wouldn't open our eyes. And so by being being able to kindly say, Hey, like we don't have to start huge. Let's start small. Let's take one t-shirt and let's make it be from this company that does things ethically. How about that? And we start small. And then a lot of times companies or businesses, they just want to tell the story to their consumer. They just Mm -hmm. want to be able to share that so that they can also, like I was mentioning with their bottom line, when their prices go up by a few dollars from on the retail end, they want to be able to explain and be honest with their customer. Okay, this is why it went up. We're not just trying to take more money from you. We're not trying to make a bigger profit. It's because we are now paying a a fair wage or we are not paying a living wage or we're Mm -hmm. doing things more ethically. And so when they were able to explain that, people were so on board because Mm -hmm. if people can tangibly understand why something now costs more, a lot of times, not always, a lot of times, they're more willing to get behind something and continue to support that business um, or whatever the program is. and, and just yeah, letting them know like this is what this could mean. Um, and we just need to be wise about how we're spending our money because there's other ways in which we can save money and still buy a quality t-shirt at the same time when we're an organization or a business that wants to um, value certain things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, you just, I saw you guys just successfully completed your Kickstarter I think yes. last week. Yes. Um, On Friday. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that. Like, what was it like running the Kickstarter like throughout the campaign and yeah, share a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. Um, So we had a Kickstarter and it was to crowdfund our first production run of t-shirts as well as the launching of our factory. Um, So as one can imagine, it costs quite a bit of money to buy all of the equipment needed Mm -hmm. to um, start a factory and to be able to employ people and to buy the fabric. And there's just obviously so much that goes into that. Um, Mm And
0: so, Did you already have a building?
1: No, we don't have a building. No. No building yet. We want to be so strategic in how we're spending our money, especially when it's crowdfunded. And we are blessed to be able to have the community have invested in this project. We don't want to be poor stewards of their money. We don't want to be paying rent on a building. Excuse my dog. He's very passionate about this as well in the background. Um, (laughs) We don't want to be spending money on a lease um, when we're not in there with equipment ready to go yet. Um, Mm -hmm. We want to make sure we're really wise with that. So we um had the Kickstarter to be able to do those things. Uh we had a goal of sixty thousand dollars, which if you know anything about Kickstarter, it's an all or nothing um crowdfunding program or platform rather. Um so if you don't make your goal by your allotted date time, goal time, you do not get any of that money, which is amazing. That's on very one nerve-wracking, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Very nerve-wracking on one hand, very amazing on the other hand, because it really does, you know, it puts the pressure on everybody. And and then that sounds like such a negative term, but you have a certain amount of time if this is something you want to kind of get behind to mm-hmm. fund it, right? You you can't just be like, oh, I'll do it in six months. I'll think about it later. You have 30 days to think about it and kind of decide if this is something that you have the resources and would like to um back. Um and with Kickstarter, you get rewards. It's not, you know, similar or different than GoFundMe, where GoFundMe is like, okay, you're just giving to something or somebody um, And there's not like a reward, necessarily a tangible reward. And with Kickstarter, we're able to let them have a piece of this pie. Like we get to um, give our t-shirts. Give isn't the right word because you're backing it. So you're technically purchasing our future t-shirts. Yeah, like pre-ordering kind of. Pre-ordering, exactly, yes. Um, And then there was a a slew of other um, rewards as well. But it was obviously it can be nerve wracking and and it's 30 days so you just the momentum starts off really strong and everything's really exciting and then you've got 30 days to wait and see what happens. Um, but it was amazing, amazing finish. I think we ended up raising twenty thousand dollars in the last 24 hours, which is oh wow, literally a miracle. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so insane. We've been we're just overwhelmed. My whole team we're all very overwhelmed and incredibly grateful. Um, because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't one person that came, swooped in and gave us $20,000. It was a lot of people giving $50 here, $20 there, hundred dollars there that believed in the mission of this and the vision of this. Um, So that was incredible to see. And I think just further fuels you to why this is so important and why we need to keep doing what we're doing and do the work to get this thing running um, and provide these jobs
0: and create really great t-shirts. Well, yeah, that's amazing. Um, so you mentioned a team, like how many, how many people are on your team now and how did you meet those people?
1: Um, so I had a team helping me with the Kickstarter specifically. Um, okay. And so those are a combination of filmmakers, photographers, creatives, brainstorm extraordinaires, people who have done Kickstarters before because Kickstarter really is its own beast um, and so I've had a team for the last couple of months that we've been developing that. Um, but mm-hmm. as far as the, the research and, um, the, the work leading up to Kickstarter, it was a lot of just me <laughs> doing a lot <laughs> of research. Um, mm-hmm. it, cause once again, we just want to be really wise with the money that we've been given and the money that we're investing in this. And so right now I can, uh, do the work myself. And then now that we, um, have a team that has worked tirelessly on this for the Kickstarter. Some of them will probably continue to help us with the actual bright factory. Um, mm-hmm. but then we'll also start building this new team, um, of our, our future floor manager and our sewers and our training program coordinator and all of those people. And so, um, I'm excited for that next step for those new hires to come along and be able to work alongside them. Um, cause I'm, I'm very big on collaboration and it not being just me. In the last year, it had to be a lot of just my own research, but I also was so fortunate to have so many people in the sustainable fashion space to reach out to, which is a whole nother subject of just how incredibly generous people in this space, whether they're a manufacturer or a a fashion company or whoever, are willing to share information and their time and um, resources and uh, so that was a ton of the last year also was they may not have been my, my official team, um, mm-hmm. but I, I had so many people I was able to reach out to and just said, hey, this is what I'm doing. Also, number one, is it a terrible idea? <laughs> <And> number two, <laughs> can, you, can you answer some questions? Because I don't know what I'm doing and I'd love to speak with someone who already has been in this space and has valuable Um, information that I can learn from, as opposed to just trying to do this on my own. Um, And so even, like I said, even though they weren't my team, all of these people that I was able to call upon in the last year and a half have been incredible.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that does go so far, Um, you know, especially when you're kind of like a solo business owner or founder and it can be Mm -hmm. a little bit like lonely, You you get stuck in your own head and you're like, Am I, have I just like looked at this too long or is this, right. you know, like, is it good? Is it bad? I don't even know. And so <laughs> to like have other people look at it is, is really helpful. So that's great that you, you've had kind of that support. Yeah. Um, was it just was it people you reached out to, or was it friends and family, or people from other people fact Factory Forty Five, or where where did you find kind of that that <laughs> network of of other people in this space to talk with? Uh,
1: yes, all of the above, honestly. Um, a lot of, you know, I think sometimes in our culture we are a little fe- like afraid of rejection, and so we don't reach out because we're afraid they'll just say no or they won't answer us. And I just had to get over that <laughs> and just mm-hmm. reach out to anybody that has started a factory in the US worked with factory partners overseas um, works with a population that maybe didn't know how to sew like all of these different things that I'm trying to do I just reached out and sent an email and said hey can we get on a zoom call <laughs> hey can mm-hmm. we can we just have a phone call and they almost I would say 97% of the people I reached out to said yes absolutely let's talk and it was so incredible so a lot of it was just reaching out to people all over the country that um, were so generous with their time and um, their advice and wisdom. And then yes, friends and family. And I'm a part of a a community here in Fort Worth where I live. That's a a branch of the church I go to, but it's a creative community and all those people are really excited about creative projects. And so a lot of my filmmaker, photographer, creatives, and they're really talented people um, who are highly skilled and um, definitely should be paid all of the money in the world and (laughs) gave their time and talent for free to this Kickstarter um, vision. And uh, helped out and it was incredible and I'm forever thankful to them Uh, just because they believed in it and they thought that this is a good way to spend their time so overwhelmed Mm -hmm. by that so yes building a a community in life is important I think we all probably know the value of that but then for people who also value and are excited about what you're doing and can bring creativity and collaboration and talent to the table as well um and not just like, "Oh yeah, that's a great idea, Megan. We love it." It's like, "No, that's not a great idea. Let's try this." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this? like but... the the honest, like constructive
0: yes. criticism too. Yeah. Yes.
1: Not just a bunch of like yes people who are like, "We love your ideas," because I don't need that. I need people mm-hmm. who are like who have better ideas because I know I don't have the best ideas in the room. Mm-hmm. So, I that was invaluable to have 15 people to be able to bounce all of that off of for the last few months.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Um so what is next for The Bright Factory? I know you're kind of, you just coming off this Kickstarter and have plans. You mentioned like hiring some team members, but um, kind of like what's in the work, works for maybe the next six months of The Bright Factory?
1: Yes. So in my very idealistic head, I'm like, we are going to get started in the next six months. We're going to be producing by spring 2022. So that's my goal is that we would, um, in the next um, month or two, we would really, begin to hire the, the initial bones of our, our team, like the floor manager, who's able to run the production floor and um, who has a, a lot of experience in this industry. And we have a consultant that we've been working with who's worked in the manu- garment manufacturing industry for a while and has consulted us on like, okay, this is the machine you buy. <laughs> this is mm-hmm, where you get it. Mm-hmm. This is how much it is. And so that's been so helpful and able to help us better strategize um, what each step needs to be. Um, Cause I think that's part of it is not getting too ahead of ourselves of mm-hmm. saying like, okay, we need to do, do pattern maker. So we did pattern making. Then we needed to do develop samples and just not getting so far ahead that we lose sight of where we're at right now. And so mm-hmm. right now it's really just being strategic in the exact timing of when we need to get into a building. Cause we want to lease a space because we are confident we're going to keep growing. And so we don't want to get into a, buy a building and be stuck there when we're like, actually now we need more space because this in, this incredible mm-hmm. business has done more. So we want to be strategic about when we get into that place. And then once we start filling it with machines, when we start the training program and begin to hire, we have um, a local partner that we will be doing a lot of our hiring through. So we have these connections set up and ready to go. It's just mm-hmm. pulling the trigger on which one needs to go first. Um, and we already have our patterns and samples developed. We're still tweaking them because as you know, <laughs> they're never perfect. You're like, oh, I, I tried it on this one other person and it looked kind of funky. And so now I need to redo things. So we're, we're making some tweaks there still as we're getting closer to be actually being able to have those ready to go. Um, so we'll make, continue to make tweaks. We'll get into a building and then start a training program that we want to give enough time to. We don't want it to be like a one week training program where you have to learn how to make these three t-shirts or whatever their Mm -hmm. part of the t-shirt is. We wanna give time and space to be able to um, make sure they feel like they can master this. So the goal would be, you know, spring 2022, we would be able to pump out t-shirts and actually um, send all of the rewards that were from Kickstarter and have production run, begin.
0: Well, that's that's amazing. You'll have to to stay in contact and, and see how things go. Would love to. Um, so what is something that you are most proud of so far on this journey of starting the factory?
1: Mm, Oh, it's a good one.
0: I am most
1: proud of I don't even know if this is proper grammar or verbiage, but (laughs) I'm I I have loved seeing the community at large and my direct community. Um, in my city get excited and behind this. I think um, when you you have a business idea or you come up with something, at first you're like, this is amazing. Everyone's gonna love it. (laughs) And then (laughs) the more you look at it and think about it, you think, okay, is this actually necessary? Do I need to create this? Does this need to be in the world? Mm -hmm. Um, does Does this work matter? Is it important? Am I wasting anybody's time? You start to really ask yourself all these questions. But when you have people that you don't even know, get behind a project and say yes, or people who are in the industry um, that could easily tell me, hey, this is a really bad idea. I don't think you should continue pursuing this. And they never said that. That is so encouraging and makes me proud to be a part of this vision. Yes, I had an idea, but so many others are helping carry it out. Um, And I love being a part of teams and people, um, groups of people that um, carry out a vision together. Um, And so I'm Mm -hmm. super proud of uh, the way that this idea has impacted others and made them excited about ethical fashion when maybe it was something that they didn't know about or um, didn't think about, or they are excited about helping the formerly incarcerated community um, by providing jobs and not just giving them a handout, but saying, Hey, like we want to like provide a job for you. We want to provide dignified employment for you because we know that you like deserve it because you're mm-hmm. not less than just because you went to jail. Um, mm-hmm. By being able to expose people to the difficulties of how hard it is to get a job, if you've been to jail. Um, I want, I'm want. i proud of all of those things. <laughs> um, being able to expose people to the realities of these different industries and see them gather together um, to make a difference in them both.
0: Yeah, so great. Um, so kind of the flip side of that, is there is there something like what has maybe been the most challenging thing so far in either the process of kind of the ideation of of starting a factory or in the coming about of it so far?
1: Yeah, um, I think I always say the sentence that says, I'm a fashion stylist trying to start a factory is like sums up the difficulty a lot of times. <laughs> it's just just relearning an industry. And if I'm honest, an industry that is not um like factories themselves across the world, there like there's not like a um, idiot's guide to starting a garment factory. Like it's not information that's just out there. Um that is super easily to easy to find and um, accessible because it's just something that's been a little bit of a, like almost like a club. Like there are mm-hmm. amazing manufacturers, small manufacturers, small batch manufacturers here in the US. And that's who I've been able to reach out to and speak to. But these like really big factories, um, there's not a lot of transparency as we know, but then there's just not a lot of information out there. Like, you know, if you wanna start a restaurant, you wanna start a boutique, You could probably throw a rock and find a book on how to do it but finding a book on how to do start a garment manufacturing facility is it was just really challenging it took a lot more research and digging um, and reaching out than i probably initially thought um Mm -hmm. and so i think that that provided a lot of challenges but then provided a lot of opportunity to invite other people into that space and ask questions and glean wisdom from them because there are people who are doing great things in this space you just have to hunt a little harder for them. They, um, mm-hmm. Their names aren't advertised in flashing lights. They're not the designers that are getting um, a lot of attention. They're the people who are like trying to make differences in the industry. And sometimes they don't get their names um, yeah, in the lights like others might, like you were kind of talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just, it's an industry that doesn't tell me easily how to do it. So it's just been a lot of, of research and figuring it out.
0: I can see how that, like, it is It is so true. It's like sometimes the best places, best factories don't even have a website. It's like, how mm-hmm. do you, you, you kind of have to like know somebody who knows about them kind of thing.
1: Totally.
0: Um, it can be kind of secretive, but um, it's great that you're able to find like so many of other people in this space that are willing to, you know, share their knowledge, like you said, because I think it's pretty open, like on the whole things are hidden and I think the fashion industry gets kind of the reputation of being cutthroat and secretive but in my experience like most people are you know like you said very willing to share information and you know help help each other out when it's when we're all working towards like the same goal you know um it's not a self-serving ask. It's very much a, Hey, you're already doing great things in the space. Like, how can I like, show me your ways of like, how can we expand this? Yeah.
1: Right. Yes. It's not in like a competitive, I'm about to try to take all your business. I'm trying to do exactly what you're doing and steal. Mm -hmm. I just want to know, glean a bit of your wisdom because you've gone ahead of me and done things. Cause you're right. People are so generous and especially in the sustainable or ethical manufacturing garment manufacturing um, sphere. Um, And like you said, it's, you just kind of have to know someone who knows someone, and it just takes a while to make those connections. And once you make them, people are so generous, um, but it just takes a while to kind of get back there and, you know, fabric suppliers, that's another thing that's kind of a Mm -hmm. a challenge to work with, as I'm sure you (laughs) have experienced, um, for a lot of reasons. Um, but that can be really intimidating because they they're not here to play around. They're like ready to get an order in and get mm-hmm. started and all these things. And if you're new to the industry, it can be a little overwhelming at first um, of how to make sure you're asking for the right thing and asking in a strong way. And <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you sound like you know what you're talking about and all of that. Um, but once you're in, like once you kind of figure things out, um, it gets a lot
0: easier. For sure. That is another thing that I see tripping up like a lot of new new brand owners, um is the fabric sourcing piece and like how am I supposed to describe what I want you know and I can't like feel it at, the, right. at a store you know um but yeah it, it's kind of a little trial and error learning curve and lots of kind of educating and then you, you'll get the hang of it eventually and find <laughs> yeah. find the people and create the network so yes absolutely um so this has been so fun megan to hear more of your story and the bright factory um i have one question that i always ask at the end of the interview which is if you could communicate one value to the world through your clothes what would it be um dignity yeah nice yeah, I was wondering if you
1: were gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, maybe I shouldn't. That's probably pretty obvious, but it's true. We want it, mm-hmm. you, we want it to communicate dignity to the garment worker, to the women who are making them, um, and for the person who's
0: wearing it. That's great. Um, so, where can people find more find out more about you and the Bright Factory online if they want to follow along the journey?
1: Yes. And get so you, T-shirts. <laughs> yes, and get some T-shirts. Um, so you can go to the brightfactory.co. That's our website, and then on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, or the Bright Factory. Um, everything spelled normally. Um, so yeah, that's where you can find us. And then if you need some styling services, you can find me at the Considerary. That's a made-up word with the <laughs> word consider and then a r y at the end.
0: Sounds good. I will include links to those in the show notes.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much, Allison. This has been incredible.
0: Yeah. Thank you for joining me today. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Haynes, and I hope you join me again for the next episode of How Fitting.